0: If you're looking for great Christian content, we want to encourage you to check out peachtreepress.org. Peachtree Press LLC offers digital products, journals, books, Bible study guides, sermon outlines, Christian blogs, and church notebooks for children and adults. Some products are also available as print on demand. Peachtree Press is a sponsor of this program and a partner in offering authentic Christian content. For more information, check out peachtreepress.org. Welcome back, rappers, to our fifth season of the Ray Reynolds Rap Podcast. If you haven't already done it, please click that subscribe button. Follow us for authentic and encouraging Christian content. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, and TikTok, or check out our website at rayreynoldsrap.com. You'll find blogs, sermons, study guides, podcast links, and lots of free stuff. We hope that you enjoy today's broadcast. Okay. Yeah, I have some more come in. Um, So today I want to talk about uh, Jesus' perspective, um, and we'll look at a couple of the stories in Jesus' life that kind of show us what he was going through mentally right before he got to the cross. But this will serve as our last class on this topic, and then we're we're supposed to start next week on uh, the Christian home. And so we'll talk about uh, different perspectives from parenting to um, motherhood, fatherhood. We'll talk about dealing with um, adolescents. We'll talk about dealing with uh, difficult kids, all that good stuff. We'll do our very best to go through yeah. Scripture. Yeah, <laughs> some of y'all have already been through it. So um, we're, we're almost through it. So it's, uh, it's part, of the, part of the process. But, um, so let's go to, um, let's start in Matthew 23. And I know this is a long section, so I won't read all of it, but I'll read bits and pieces of it. So from a perspective, if we're looking at this from a mental health perspective, uh, Jesus suffers from some of the worst cases of bullying you could ever imagine. Uh, He is constantly criticized. He is mocked. He is rebuked. He is um, hated by a lot of people. Uh, his family does not always attend his meetings. In fact, his brothers had a lot of hard feelings towards him uh, in the early part of his ministry in fact, uh, the gospel's sake plainly that his brothers did not believe in him so that uh, all of that comes into it kind of comes to a crescendo i think in matthew twenty three because he has Uh, family members and friends that have been on the fence he knows at this point that Judas is going to fall away he knows that Peter is going to betray him Um, you know he's going to deny him and so all of that plays into the last few days of his life and in chapter 21 he comes into the triumphal entry they're laying down the palm branches I mean it's a beautiful scene coming into Jerusalem Uh, And on the way out, he's not going to be, you know, walking around palm branches. He's going to be walking in his own blood, and he's going to be carrying a cross to Calvary. So in between 21 and 25, 26 here, um, there is this anxiousness about getting to the cross. And so when he has all these Pharisees and scribes that constantly annoy him, it says in chapter 23, verse 1, that Jesus spoke to the multitude, saying, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on the seat of Moses. Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, that observe and do. But do not do according to their works, for they say and they do not do. So he, he automatically is going to get right into it, that these guys may be sitting in a place of authority. Uh, respect that. He says they have specific things they teach you to do. Follow that. But when it comes to their example, he says, don't, don't do what they do, do what they say, but don't do what they do because they are so hypocritical. And then he goes into this list of things like verse four, when he says, for they bind heavy burdens, hard to bear and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers, but all their works they do to be seen by men. They make their phylacteries broad and enlarge the borders of their garments and he, he, just, he just starts running over all of these things. And so what he'll do is uh, he'll say, like verse 14, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. Verse 13, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. And over and over, every few verses, he's pronouncing these. We call them the woes of the scribes and Pharisees. But woe, he's saying, you, know, you need to wake up. Uh, he says, verse 26, you're blind. Uh, he he uh, talks about them as being dead. Uh, he talks about them, verse twenty-nine, making tombs for the prophets and monuments for the righteous people, but yet they're the ones that actually killed a lot of the prophets. Um, and so going on down, he says, verse thirty-four: Therefore, indeed, I send you prophets, wise men, and scribes. Some of them will you will kill and crucify, and some of them you will scourge in your synagogues and persecute city to city that kind of gives us a little bit of the perspective of Paul later on that on you may come all the righteous bloodshed on earth from the blood of the righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar and that's another story a sidebar story that's not given in scripture but and so he says surely I say to you all these things will come upon this generation so the the pain and the uh, affliction That is going to come upon them is because of their past deeds. And really, I think part of this is the fall of Jerusalem. I think this happens, as he says, in this generation, a lot of the people that persecuted Jesus would then have to watch his followers becoming a great nation in in and of themselves. And then in addition to that, um, Jerusalem will fall, the temple will be destroyed, the genealogical records will be destroyed, all of that stuff while they're living. So he rebukes them. Um, but you have to kind of put yourself in, uh, in his shoes. How would you react if you were criticized as frequently and as painfully as Jesus? How, would you, how do you think that the average person would react to those kinds of things? What do you think? Yeah, what? Yeah, crumble apart, just fall apart. What else? Do you think, some, you think some, most people would probably, if not uh, lash out, they would at least think about lashing out? How can you tolerate it? Yeah. He hadn't done anything wrong. I mean, there's, there's no reason to treat him so poorly, and especially by people that are claiming to be religious leaders, that they're so peaceful and loving, and, and they're treating him in, in a terrible way. Um, And then he in verse 37, he says, "O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones, those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I say to you, you shall see me no more until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Uh, So you're going to see as the scriptures play out, they don't learn their lesson. And sometimes you can tell people you're dead wrong and, you, and point out what they've done. There's no question that they had killed prophets before. Uh, so he says, you, you killed a prophet on his way to the altar to worship. You killed him. Uh, and so some people, no matter how, how lovingly you do it, how forcefully you do it, or just flat out doing it, there's some people that will not respond and they will not change. Right. their way of doing things is others. Have you ever done something for somebody and they didn't appreciate it? I mean you I mean you really poured all your energy into something and, and they didn't appreciate it. So Jesus knows that they're not gonna appreciate him dying on the cross. Would you would you die for somebody would you die for these people? No, we wouldn't. We I, they don't deserve it. They deserve punishment. Uh, But Jesus died so that they might be saved. And some of them, according to Acts 2, were saved. They were at the cross. And so, uh, but man, I I can't imagine. This is even before he begins his prayer in the garden. Uh, He's under a tremendous amount of stress. Uh, What else do you see in the story? Anything you want to notice about Pharisees and scribes?
1: I did have this kind of pointed out like one time in kind of a similar discussion. It's interesting how with the Pharisees and scribes it's almost like he's being harsher towards them because they act, they they at least act more in the right and seem to and whatnot, but it seems like he doesn't get onto the Sadducees as Mm -hmm. much in scripture. It's almost like the Sadducees are so dead wrong, yeah.
0: not even worth talking about. Right, right. The Pharisees, it's like you're, you,
1: you think you're in the right place. Maybe even your heart feels like it's in the right place for some of you, as well as your followers. But you do it, you're in the wrong on so many things, and you should be better. Right. Almost
0: kind of deal. If, um, if you kind of remove the Herodians and you remove some of the other groups, uh, they are considered to be as uh, weird. Strangely enough, one of the more liberal groups of the uh, of the Jews, and they were they were they believed in the resurrection. They believed in uh, a prophet that was coming. They were the ones studying the scriptures, trying to make sure people knew here this is prophecy, this is prophecy. So we should see the Messiah coming. And yet they were as blind as could be. They didn't, and it was because of their own pride. You know they're. There are people who, in this situation, anyway, there are people who will not ever see the truth. They refuse to see it. They have, and this is something uh, Missy and I talked about this yesterday or day before. I, uh, I'm having a hard time with people that are in positions of, well, we're talking about mental health perspective, uh, people that are counselors. And psychologists, psychiatrists, um, even in some doctors, because there is this generation we had when we were growing up and a little bit after what we call relativism, you know, that all truth is relative. Well, now they've changed the terminology. So if you'll ever if you'll notice, you'll hear parents say this to their kids. And I hate it. I absolutely hate it. They'll say, what is your truth? Tell me your truth. And so then the child will tell their truth. It's not truth. It's their emotion. Truth is not based on emotion. And so our generation now is being taught by counselors that every person has their own individual truth. So what your truth is, it's that relativism on steroids. They encourage it. Tell me what your truth is. And I've watched videos of this and parents and teachers and counselors just tell me your truth. And you're like, are you kidding? Like, and it's become kind of a thing where if you haven't seen it, you will. I mean, But I can't imagine saying, what is your truth? Well, all truth is truth, but they don't believe that anymore.
1: I don't think that's healthy at all. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, there's a, a sign in one of my doctor's offices that says something like, just because, because you think it doesn't mean it's true or something right. like that. You know, because I think there's a danger in, in making like, because sometimes we think, Really bad or really negative things or something, and and that's not true. Mm-hmm. That's, uh, often not true.
0: So it's a dangerous way of thinking. Many, has, I guess the word
1: perspective has too many um, uh, too many consonants in it or something for the deep set. Like, because that seems like a more appropriate question. Like, what's yeah. your perspective? What right.
0: Do you right. Yeah. Like what are you feeling? And uh, we cannot. We have to. We have to uh, separate logic and reason and truth from emotion. You cannot put them in the same category. It's okay to be emotional. It's okay to have a feeling. It's okay to have all of these worries and anxieties. You shouldn't hold on to them for long, but those are normal, it's normal life. What's not normal is taking something that is true and logical and by reason you can tell and changing it. Like if I say that table is not a table, I'm gonna say it's a, it's a semi-truck you'd be like, no, it's table. You need to get some medication or some help. You know, it was, or if I say that um, my phone is uh, a tree branch, you know I mean? And it's not necessarily that far removed from what they're doing. And I, I believe, I wholeheartedly believe this, that that is abuse. That's mental abuse to encourage a child to think that their emotion is what is right. Because it, how, how does that play out as they become adults? As they become adults, they can do whatever they want to do because it's truth to them. It's truth. And so you can't stop them. You can't challenge them. They do not like authority. They don't like the people that are teaching. They don't like the people in administration. They're not going to like police officers. They're not, they've been trained because you have your truth. And if that's right for you, it's, it's right. It's absolutely right. And, and there's no way to hold uh, law and order. It's impossible. How can you do that? Oh, I believe I'm a kitty cat. Well, honey, you are then. Because if you think you're a kitty cat, that's your truth. You're a kitty cat. You go ahead and put the ears on and the tail and meow to everybody. That's your truth. I think that's mental abuse. I wholeheartedly do. I think that is wrong to tell a child you can – it's okay to tell them you can can be whatever you want to be. You you, you, You can achieve whatever you want to achieve. But to to sit there and say, if you want to believe that you're a dog, then you're a dog, that's, I mean, that's insane.
1: It's almost fostering mental illness. And in yep. a sense, that it's kind of like the person that comes to the doctor and says, you know, I feel like people are watching me and they're yeah. after me. Well, that is, that that's potentially, probably mental illness. Yeah. You know, so you can say, well, that's your truth. Right. That's your, that's because you don't want to validate that. Yeah, that's then. Then they must be right. You know, so.
0: Yeah, and I, I there's so many different aspects of this that just bother me. But one of them is if you'll notice, this generation, it's always. I mean, if you go to McDonald's and they they get your order wrong, well, they've triggered you. They've tri- I'm triggered. I'm triggered. I'm an emotional wreck. I've got full anxiety. That's My like life is over. <laughs> I got I, I to have a minute. I got to have a minute. Right now, I got to have a minute. In this minute, I got to have another minute because I've been triggered. And they shut down emotionally. And because of that, they establish their truth. My truth is everybody's against me. My truth is they're intentionally trying to hurt me. And, and And if you take that to the furthest extreme, what happens when you get a bill that needs to be paid well i 've been triggered i 've been triggered i can 't pay the bill because i don 't have the money and they 're thinking and i 'm going to i 'm not going to pay the bill you can 't make me because that triggered me and so we 're going to have a generation of people that absolutely believe that whatever they want they will get. Or if they don't get it, somebody else is wrong. I mean, we were record with the cell phones all the time. Something comes up, I want to film it so I can tell everybody this is what happened. And then you can tell it from your perspective. Yeah.
1: I was just going to say, it's almost like a very typical thing that seems to happen in, in the United States, almost more than other places. It's like, we, we came to the conclusion that, oh, yeah, we do need to consider other people's perspectives and what they're going through more. And we do need to be careful people who have gone, and we do need to be mindful of people who have gone through trauma or right. things that might, that are understandable that we do get triggered by somebody, mm-hmm. but it's like we've taken that and then taken it to an extreme where things, relatively minor things right. that we should be able to, that we should be able to get through and that we should have been raised to work through instead mm-hmm. have become much more than they
0: should be. Right. Well, and when you validate emotion, you invalidate truth. Uh, For instance, I don't know that anybody would have thought 30 years ago that we'd have young men competing in young women's sports. But hey, that's your truth. And if you were born a biological male and you want to pretend that you're a biological female, then you should. You should do that. That's your truth. Well, what's next? Are we going to have kids... Uh, jumping through hoops at AKC registered events. Like, are they going to join? Are they going? Are we going to have the puppy show with the kids in it? I mean, wh- where are we going with this? What's the what's the end result? The end result is we're training a generation of people and 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 mental health people that are leading them that it's okay that a child should be able to have any emotion they want and do anything they want. And I think it's good to be creative. I'm a big, big you know believer in that. But it is harmful. To do that, to tell, to tell somebody, whatever you think, that's your truth. That's your truth. Because what happens when they change? Truth is change. change truth can't change. But even in Jesus' day, you know, Pilate, when he goes before the, um, the city, you know, and they're going to give him an opportunity, him or Barabbas, to be set free, he, he basically says, what is truth? Pilate wants to know, what is truth? And of course, truth is standing for him. He's the way, the truth, and life. Um, so what we have to do is we have to ground people in reality. You know, even even the sense of reality for uh, this generation is is straight, is is wrong because they have reality TV shows that are scripted, but yet they're reality TV shows. So we're we're trying to produce. Uh, and I understand part of it. I do. I, I understand the um, ability. You know, you don't want to hurt somebody's feelings. So that's one reason why people embrace homosexuality, because they don't want to hurt somebody's feelings. They don't want to upset them because their truth is men can lay with men and women can lay with men, women. But what's happened is, what's next? Well, the next thing, the, the easy target is for children. I mean, that pedophilia is actually not a disorder. It's just, that's my truth. I prefer little kids. This is where we're going. So somebody's got to come back and say, you know, I'll tell you something. If you really want to hear something, absolutely just blow your mind. Go online to YouTube and look up the video of Putin giving his, um, giving his speech just a few days ago. And he gets up before the nation of Russia. He's got all these dignitaries out there in the audience. And he's like, you know, America is helping the Ukraine. And the Ukraine has a major problem with with taking uh, young women and selling them into the sex trade. And over there in America, you know what they're doing? They're telling men can lay with men. Women can lay with men, women. He's like, that goes against everything the church stands for. They don't stand for religion. They don't stand for God. They don't, and you're listening to it going, kind of makes a lot of sense. I mean, he's making a lot of sense. that they're, they're, We are so far removed from where we were 100 years ago, we don't even look like the same nation. Not even close. And, uh, and I think that that at some point we have to have an open, I I don't know if I can say honest because honesty is relative too, if truth is relative, but can we have an honest discussion about where this is going? Like what, what's going to happen? There's nothing positive that comes from this. Um, now, every time you see somebody pulled over, the, the cops have their cameras on and, and you can go, I follow a couple of these pages. It blows my mind. Every time they pull over, I need a supervisor. I need a supervisor. You shouldn't have pulled me over. I've been triggered because I saw the lights, you know, and they won't roll down their window and they won't participate. They won't tell their name. They won't give their life. they are guys who walk around with cameras just to have conflict with cops. They, they take their cameras out and they say, what's your name? Why are you doing here? I don't have to tell you what's your name and badge number. You know, and it's like they're intentionally trying to provoke people because they've been taught that they're out to get you. If somebody tells you, you can't do that, they're the enemy. They're the enemy. You should be able to do whatever you want to do, and your truth is your truth. And I just think that's dangerous for a lot of reasons. Um, a little bit off track. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, but we
1: kind of got, uh, kind of got on
0: tangent. Yeah, <laughs> chased a rabbit there a little bit. But let's look at um, later on in Luke 20, or Matthew 26, Jesus actually goes to the garden and he is processing all of these things that have happened to him over the last few days. He has uh, taken the last supper. Uh, he gets his disciples, and they head out to the garden in verse thirty-six. And from thirty-six to forty-six, he is praying this great prayer. He, you know, he says in verse thirty-eight, "My soul's exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me." And of course, they don't. They they fall asleep. And so he prays this beautiful prayer not my will but thine be done. And it's a great we we read this at the at uh, the Lord's supper table sometimes. But I want to show you a detail that is not found in Matthew or Mark, but it is found in Luke. And we're lucky to have Luke as a writer because he's a doctor. And so he comes from a and he's a Gentile too. So it comes from a little bit different perspective. But notice uh Luke 22 and verse 44, it says, um, And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. That is a powerful testimony to the anxiety that Jesus was facing in the garden. Agony, you could substitute the word there, anxious Worry, this great dread. I don't know necessarily that he feared death. He seems to be ready for death, but what would happen because of his death is causing him anxious thoughts. He knows Judas is going to betray him. Judas has already taken the thirty pieces of silver. He's already on his way because going back to um, Matthew 4, 30, 26, 46, it says the betrayers at hand. He comes and he wakes him up for the third time, and he says, "Hey, Judas is here." But the, he knew Judas. He knew, he knew all of his disciples would run away from him. He knew that at the moment of the cross, he would have none of his disciples there except for John. And so all of those thoughts are in his mind that he is sweating drops of blood. Um, I don't know if this has ever happened to you before. If you've ever, had, if you've ever screamed or laughed so hard, you've busted, busted blood vessels in your face. Anybody ever done that before? Okay. I was in a, a procedure... Was probably eighth grade, and I uh, had constant heartburn. Have had my whole life, and um, I had a doctor tell me why, and I believed it for two decades until somebody told me that's the dumbest thing they would ever heard. I was like, "Oh well," my doctor told me that my mom smoked while she was pregnant with me. So my doctor, when I was going to the heart to the heartburn doctor, he said, "Well, your mom smoked while she was pregnant with you, so when you smoke, your child smokes too, and it burned the esophagus lining out of your throat." I was like, "Oh, that makes sense." Well, that's not true. <laughs> that's not true. You don't smoke along with the baby. I mean, it's not good for the baby, but he's not breathing in the fumes. I mean, it goes through the umbilical cord. But anyways, but I believed him. So um, he was just talking to a kid. Uh, I guess he wanted me to not like my mom. I don't know. But uh, anyways, we, we started um, taking medicine. I started doing all this and I could not. I was drinking bottles of Mylanta all the time. And finally um, went in to get a scan of my throat. And, uh, some reason when I went into the procedure, there was a storm outside and it knocked the power off a couple times. And so, um, when it knocked the power off, they were busy trying to get all the things together and the anesthesia wore off and I woke up. And when I woke up, I'm, you know, just kind of coming to, well, there's a tube down your throat. So you, ca- I can't breathe. And they're like, "Calm down, it's okay," you know. And I'm just like fighting them. I actually grabbed the tube to try to rip it out, and they had doctors holding me down. And um, I remember when I came back out to the recovery room, the doctor came in and he goes, "Boy, you better not ever drink any alcohol." I said, "Why?" He said, "He said because you know I can tell when you were under anesthesia how you would be if you ever were drunk." And <laughs> I was like, "Oh goodness!" Because I did remember part of it, but I thought it was a dream, and. um when I got home, I looked in the mirror and I had popped all the blood vessels in my face and my eyes. So like there was veins, I could see big, like you have veins in your eyeballs, you just don't see them, but mine popped out. And so, um, I had all of this red all over my face. Now, luckily none of them like literally popped out of my skin, but for a couple of days I looked terrible. And then, you know what happens to your eyes and your face? It turns Yellow as it heals. So I, and I turned, I had my birthday party that week. I think I was like 13 or 14 years old and I had a big birthday party and I was yellow all over, you know, and they're like, are you okay? I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just popped her blood vessel in my face. So if you've ever had a moment where, you know, you've popped those or you can see the the vessels, those can actually, um, through your, um, pores, you can, you know, bleed out your pores. And so Jesus is literally sweating, perspiring blood from his face you don't do that if you're not anxious i mean that that's a that is a um a difficult place to be uh, of in agony and in sorrow um and then he's gonna he's gonna have to face judas yeah
1: right Tries to help you still feel anxious. Like, right.: you know,
0: Yeah. I remember one time I, was, I, I had a severe anxiety. I didn't know that's what I had until I went, finally got a doctor to put me on some medication. But I remember being one time on an airplane, and uh, there were several times this happened to me in a car, but I was in an airplane, and um, we had taken off, and we weren't to the point where the seatbelt lighted went off and i needed to go to the bathroom (laughs) really bad and so i was sitting there so anxious i started sweating and i was waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting for that thing and it finally the light went off and i just immediately jumped up and ran to the bathroom but um i uh, people that were around me i'm sure were anxious too because i was anxious they could tell i was sweating but i've had people before when i've had those moments of anxiousness go well you need to calm down that doesn't help like you know, or it's all going to be OK. That doesn't help me. Um, so, uh, you know, learning to breathe, learning to just calm yourself is to have practice stillness is a it is a, a mental practice. You have to learn mindfulness and it's tough for all of us to do. But uh, I I finally was able to not have those moments as often as I had before. But if you've ever been in that moment where if you've ever hyperventilated or you've ever just been and it could be could be um, you know you're by yourself whatever. But if you have those moments of anxiousness, there's really not a whole lot to calm you in that second. It takes a minute or two to you know. I my youngest daughter went through that when she was they call
1: it panic
0: attack. Yeah. yeah. The problem is, you don't know how to fix the ones that you wake up out of your sleep. Right, right. But
1: that's the ones that were hard,
0: the hardest for her. Yeah. She finally learned to breathe through them. And right. It was open and it was gone. Yeah. And I've, I've had uh, people tell me, you know, breathe deep breaths, you know. Um able to do that, though. So. Yeah, it is, especially when you're going, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you can't just go, oh, okay, I'm going to change my breathing. That's why they, um, one of the things that, uh, it's a big thing now, a lot of people do um, essential oils and things like that. And so you can smell something, it alerts a different sense. So if you can take your mind off of it, I love major, I don't, I haven't watched it in years, so it may not be a very good movie. But when I was a kid, we loved major pain. I don't know if you ever saw that movie. And, you know, and he's like, come here, I'll take your mind off that pain, boy. And he'll break their finger, you know, and um so we joke about it even to this day. I think I did it yesterday. <laughs> I still, that's a funny line. But there are ways you can distract yourself. And um, one way is to have people ask you a random question that has nothing to do with anything. You know, like, what's the capital of North Dakota? You know, and, and, and so you're kind of like, what does that have to do? But it takes your mind off of it. So if you have something that calms you like music or um, something like that, do whatever it takes to get through that moment. But in the moment... Uh, it's really hard. It's, it's exceptionally hard. So Jesus knows that he's going to raise again. He knows that. And he knows that his disciples are going to believe. But in the moment, it's like, I'm so anxious I need the cup to pass for just a little bit. And, um, well, yeah, uh, mm-hmm. and there's a term for this. I can't remember what the word is, but there's a term for this medical term. And uh, and I I I would not want to switch places with Jesus in that moment. Uh, but you're right; the angels come to to uh, to aid him. And the hard part too is even he's asked the disciples, "Just sit here, watch and pray." And the very next verse, you know, it says verse 43: the angel appears, strengthen him. Uh, or that was the previous verse. And then verse 45: when he rose up from the prayer, came to his disciples. He found them sleeping from sorrow and it says then he said to them why do you sleep rise and pray lest you enter temptation i ask you to pray and they fell asleep uh some people deal with I, I do that if i'm really really anxious sometimes i just i need a nap um i don't know why that is but that's just the way i'm wired and and so they just they just fall asleep and it's it's late in the night i know and they've been through a lot and they had uh, you know a good meal and You know, they're they're now walking around out here. Uh, It's a very um, easy thing to do, but it's frustrating to Jesus because he only asked him to do one thing, one thing. I love to look at John 17, Jesus's prayer, the same prayer time. And in John 17, he's going, hey, Father, you gave me these guys out of the world and they're ready they're ready to do your will. They're ready. They're going to have people that will believe on me and you after them. And, and it, he's so complimentary towards the disciples. But yet they're over there sawing logs. You know, he thinks that they're ready. He believes in them. And they just, they're asleep. So you can imagine being in a position like this where he's going to be, he's going to be drug off to prison He's going to be beaten within an inch of his life. He's going to be scourged until there's, he's virtually unrecognizable. And I do believe that's what Isaiah is talking about in Isaiah 53. I think that Jesus was virtually unrecognizable. I think that his beatings were so bad um, that it's no wonder he didn't survive longer than six hours on the cross. He was almost at the point of death when he was dragged. That's why they had to get Simon to help him drag the cross. He was... Under duress. And then, even when he talks on the cross, it's short sentences because he's, he's so um, you know, stretched across that cross. He's having to breathe. The way they do it is you put your feet down and they would nail in between uh, both, both feet on the bottom, and then they'd nail your arms, your hands, and so you had to step up to breathe. And every time you breathe, you got to, and then so you got more pain in all three of those places. I mean, you're hanging by the nails. It was not uncommon to just completely have their arms rip off. And so Jesus, you can imagine the torture that he knows is ahead. I mean, we get anxious when there's an upcoming meeting or if we got to call somebody and give them bad news. Or if, you know, we have an appointment that we're dreading. We know anxiousness. We don't know this level of anxiousness. I mean we 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 may have some close very similar things that we go through but this this shows us Jesus has experienced everything that we have and 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 he was willing to go to the cross anyway despite all the pain and agony and sorrow and he, and to go alone you know in fact um we have a song we sing I come to the garden alone um we may go to the garden alone but we're not alone when we get there I mean the Lord is with us and Jesus is strength was not from his disciples his strength was from his father and that's a great great way to look at our anxiousness and our fear Uh, any other thoughts about that all right so we've talked about through this series we've talked about elijah we've talked about moses we've talked about david uh, we have talked about uh, paul and timothy last time we were together Uh, There are many more. Mary, uh, Martha, all of those examples. There's there's even more that we probably consider. Who are some other characters in Scripture that we didn't talk about? uh, In case somebody's putting together a book on this subject. (laughs) Who are some other characters? Job, we talked about Job too. Who are some other characters you can think of that we either didn't cover or we didn't emphasize one particular story in their life? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you say
1: had some Yeah.
0: Exactly. Yeah. I think Noah's story, uh, we talked about Jonah too. Noah's story, I think the hardest part for me is he's righteous in his generation, which means he's the best that they had. But it's one thing to tell somebody something's going to happen. But another thing, if you know they're going to die. And so he has 120 years knowing nobody else is going to get on this boat. God told him, you're going to build the boat. There's only going to be eight of you on board. So he builds the boat. And then God shuts the door. And I believe that God had to shut the door. Because anybody who is righteous and a person of compassion would have compassion for the children. Uh, Forget the men and the women. If they're evil, that's fine. But what do you do if... If there are people screaming in agony, you know, swimming, treading water, trying to hand their baby to you, you know, would you, would you get off the boat? Would you throw a rope? You would, but God had to shut the door. So he's there inside knowing that the whole world, every other human they had ever seen and hadn't seen was going to drown. Uh, that would have been devastating. I mean, absolutely Devastating. Who else do you think about?
1: Paul seemed to suffer from a good bit of anxiety over what he had done previously.
0: Yeah, so yeah. So there might be another one. Paul's, Paul's uh, persecution of Christians definitely wore on him.
1: He mentions it. It seems like, if I remember correctly, he mentions it multiple times.
0: Yeah, He does. He does. Well, there's a reason why we have those connections to individuals in Scripture, those characters, because it's a reminder of their human, their frailty. Um, And we also will experience things very similar to them, and like them, we can overcome. Um, We didn't mention Samson. We didn't mention uh, Jeremiah. Man. Who? Peter, yeah. In fact, in this same story, uh, look at verse... um, Verse 62 of Luke 22. It says, So Peter went out and wept bitterly. I mean, so he experienced anxiety as well because he would not stand up for Jesus.
1: I will say Jeremiah is a bit long-winded and he's also not kind of a bipolar. Yeah. Well, yeah. Because he'll go for one chapter and save these people. Lord. no, never mind. Just go on. Yeah. Just go
0: on. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. I think Ezekiel probably had some severe anxiety. Uh, Hosea, man, how would you like to have a spouse that can't stay home? I mean, awful story. So a lot of those. well, Well, we'll have an opportunity, I'm sure, in future classes to talk about some of these characters. But I think we've done a pretty good job of going through the major stories and trying to be able to relate to it. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode of the Ray Reynolds Wrap Podcast. Be sure to like and follow and subscribe to our social media pages. You can find channels and links on our Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, and TikTok pages. Check out our website at rayreynoldsrap.com. Also, if you'd like to contribute to the show, if you want to send some prayer requests or suggestions about upcoming content, please email us at rayreynoldswrap at gmail.com. Hope you have a wonderful day as you seek to maintain an authentic life in Christ Jesus.